wow, here we are. <laughs> Online service. Uh, we, you know, we imagined this day would come, but we would never have imagined that it would come apart from our own plans. Uh, but there's a little bit of comfort in that for me. The, the Bible says that uh, the man of mine plans his ways, but his steps are directed by the Lord. Uh, sometimes we don't like being out of control. Uh, on the other hand, Sometimes it's just nice if God makes a decision. So here we are doing an online service. In any event, we're very grateful that you're with us uh, today, wherever you are, Reynoldsburg, Gehanna, Westerville, Worthington, Powell, Dublin, Hilliard, Plain City, Marysville, and probably some people from out of state. We are grateful that you've decided to spend a little bit of time with us. I should warn you, if you're used to a 75-minute service at Vista, uh, we understand, me included, that the attention span online probably doesn't last 75 minutes. This is going to be less than an hour, uh, most likely. Um, Kiddos, glad you're with us as well with your families. I want to let you know that the kids' community staff and leadership have put together resources, links, and materials that will be sent to you and your parents so that you can experience some of what you would have otherwise missed by not being here on Sunday mornings. Hey, parents, adults, (laughs) I'd like to talk to you about pandemics and revivals, but it seems a little deep for the family atmosphere, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold off on that till the end of the message. By then, I will probably have lost the kids, although I'm going to do my best to hang on to them. Okay, but we're going to talk about pandemics and revivals later. At this particular point, I'm going to ask everybody to answer this question. Everybody in the family, if you're with a family, if it's just you, I still want you to raise your hand if it's true. Here's the the question. How many of you have or have had an imaginary or an invisible friend? How many of you have had, I'll throw this in there, or wanted one? You know, there you go. That, now, now everybody's raising their hand, right? Like invisible friend, imaginary friend. It'll be fun to talk about that later. I'll, I'll bet you've got stories you want to tell and your kids want to tell you stuff. Maybe they've never told you before now that, the, you know, now that the information's out there. But hold on to that. Hang in there. Give me just a few minutes and maybe you can catch up on that later. That would be fun. It's a really very natural part of early child development to have an imaginary friend. And as adults... Those things morph into an ability to build tensions in our mind, to have arguments with ourselves. Uh, it's, a, it's difficult to imagine how all of that works, but you can, you've been there. You have imagined even how something might work out in your life given different variables or decisions, right? You can imagine yourself even differently than you are now. I'll bet you've had conversations that you've walked away, wished you had done it differently, or thought of the perfect thing to say, and then had that whole conversation again later with an imaginary person. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a room, room full of imaginary people right now. There's a few people in the room that are real, but most everybody in the room is imaginary. You're seeing me right now, but I'm not seeing you but I'm picturing your faces. I know where you sit. And so as I stand here, I can imagine this face there and that face there, and I can imagine you right there. One of the faces that I can't get out of my mind is the Kearney family. 
Right? You, you think it's, it's hard enough to be in the space that they have been in battling this cancer for over a year. Imagine what it must be like to now have this threat that threatens even more those among us that have deficiency in their immunity systems or whatever. And keep praying, please, for them and for those around you that are susceptible to everything that's going on right now. I imagine your faces right now. That's what we do. We imagine our friends. We imagine others. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I, didn't, I didn't really imagine... I don't remember having any imaginary friends. I do, I do remember having imaginary enemies, though. <laughs> as odd as that may sound, let me explain. And uh, literally in my backyard, I had a hundred acre forest. And in that forest, I was always battling imaginary Indians and soldiers and enemies of all sorts and trying to keep them away from the forts or the tree houses that we built. You know, that imaginary space consumed my summers and still calls to me from my memory. You know, we're, we're actually built. We're built for it and we're comfortable in a world that goes beyond what we see and feel. It includes others that we do not see with our eyes or hear with our ears. We're designed, essentially, to live in a world that is both seen and unseen, I'm going to explain in a little bit, but let me just remind you where we're at in the middle of a series in the 40 days that precede Easter, this Lenten space. I'm going to read to you today from a, a, a translation called The Message out of uh, the book of John, the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, an invisible but not imaginary friend that Jesus is going to send as a replacement, if you will, for himself after he's gone. Listen to one of the greatest men, one of the greatest teachers, one of the most truthful people to have ever walked the planet, the most truthful, in fact. Listen to him speak. He says, when the friend I plan to send you from the Father comes, the spirit of truth from the Father, he will confirm everything about me. Listen to this first part of this again. When the friend I plan to send you from the Father comes. You can see right here. You already understand you can't see Jesus anymore. We can't see the Father. We don't see the Spirit. And it's a community. The very God who created us is a community, not just a singularity. Right? Look, he says, when the friend... The Spirit of God, I, Jesus, plan to send you from the Father. Right? You see, there's this, this three-person God community right there in one little sentence. Right? Look at that. A three-person, sometimes visible in the past, but largely mostly invisible God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to the words in the very first book of the Bible. You're familiar with this part. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen to this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We usually breeze right over that. God said, let us. Who is us? It's those three. It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're, they're 
prehistoric, if you will, before history ever started, as, as long as you might imagine that history is, God in three persons preceded it and will outlive it. This invisible community is part of who we are. We're created and intended to live within a community, within a world that's invisible, while also living in a community and a world that is visible. We're created and intended to live in this lifetime in relationship with our God, who's an invisible father. At this point in time, an invisible son and uh, an invisible friend to interact with us. Is it any wonder we are inclined toward Imaginary friends. We have invisible ones. Given that the world is created and now filled with God, Spirit, is it any wonder we live in this space? Let me ask you again. How many of you have or have had an invisible or an imaginary friend? Now here's the thing. This very real and invisible friend, this spirit of God, actually has a job to do. Listen to how Jesus explains this. He says, when the friend and I, that I plan to send you from the Father comes, he will confirm everything about me. The first job of our invisible but real friend from the Father is to confirm Jesus You might say his job is to remind us of Jesus and to affirm his existence now that he's no longer here. Does that make sense? Jesus says, I'm going to send my friend. I'm going to send the Spirit to confirm me. He will remind you of me. He will remind you of all that I have taught. He will give you the sense that I am with you, and because of him, I will be with you. He'll affirm the reality of Jesus. He'll confirm him. Now, it's not unusual for our imaginary friends to confirm things. (laughs) Sometimes that's why we have them. No one else is going to agree with us. No one else is going to affirm what we're doing. No one else is going to tell us that what we're doing is okay when it's not. So we make up imaginary friends that confirm what we're doing. In this case, what we have is the Spirit of God confirming who Jesus is. And you could say, rightly so, that it's his primary role. Hey, kids. Uh, Let me ask you this. Uh, Do you know that Jesus is real? Do you have a sense that Jesus is real? And and if you do, how how do you know that? I'll I'll bet probably a parent or a a friend of your parent or a a, a teacher of some sort, probably someone that you respect and believe might have told you that. Maybe you've read it in the Bible and, and you have a pretty good idea that the Bible is true. Did you know that God has sent an invisible friend, we call him the Holy Spirit, to, in a sense, secretly, maybe not audibly, tell you in your heart and your mind that Jesus is real. That's a crazy good thing. It's it's a critical thing for us to remember, and it's a comforting thing, because we need this. Jesus isn't right in front of us anymore, so we need this. We need this, and it's, and it's comforting. 
You know, most people have a sense or or at least an an inclination or sometimes a strong inclination that Jesus really did live. There aren't a ton of people that argue that fact. And most people would even could admit that they believe that he was crucified. Even those who've never really trusted Jesus for anything in their life would believe that he lived and he died. But the whole idea that he was raised to new life never to die again, but to ascend into heaven in bodily form into an indescribable heaven, it's pretty hard for the human mind to grasp. And it's good to remember that we don't have to find our way to that faith and that belief on our own. We have a friend. that We have a spirit from God himself to help us get there. We don't have to get there on our own. We actually can't get there on our own. That's why he is so critical in our life. And we don't have the capacity to drag somebody else into that belief space either. No matter how you live your life or how well you argue theology or the existence of God or Jesus, we don't have what it takes to confirm or affirm the reality of Jesus. And That's what the Spirit of God does. Jesus is telling his disciples in this passage that he's going to leave them soon, and they're pretty upset about that. They they love him deeply. They've come to depend on him. He's been a protector and a provider and 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 a giver of great purpose in their life. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to send you a friend. I'm going to send you the Spirit of God, not only to comfort you and to guide you and to teach you and to direct you, but to confirm to you me and everything about me. In a sense, he's saying, I'm going to, spend a, I'm going to send a friend to be me in my absence, not physically, invisibly, not, not imaginably, really. And that's better. Jesus said, this is better because when I'm physically here, I am limited by space and time. When I'm physically here, I can only be here. But my friend, the spirit of the Father and me, can come and be everywhere all the time. And he will be with you always. It's very comforting words of Jesus at the time when it was a very uncomfortable space of him leaving. Later, Jesus repeats this and says it this way. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. That makes sense. Seeing is believing for us. We, that's, that's, that's in many cases how we believe. But Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Not seen. That's, that's me. That's you. Well, we haven't been able to physically see Jesus, but we do experience the Spirit of God who confirms the reality of Jesus. The Spirit, the friend that is sent, helps us, makes it possible even for us to believe what we don't see. So here's the obvious question. Are you in touch with the friend? Are you on speaking terms? Are you listening to the Spirit of God? Are you spending time with the friend from God? 
Are you on your way to greater belief in Jesus? Are you on your way to greater faith, greater life, greater purpose? You could be, but it requires time with the Spirit of God. Here we are in these 40 days. And you could say that our primary purpose in the 40 days The purpose behind our commitments and our aspirations to find and carve out margins of time for God. The the reason we are using the Schizero devotional and the reason we have uh, worship times together and equipping times together is to, you could say, to spend time with the friend, the one who leads us to Jesus. Are you spending time understanding more deeply the forgiveness of Jesus because the Spirit is confirming it? Are you spending time and are you learning and understanding uh, the new life that you have in Jesus because the Spirit of God is teaching you? Are you grappling with or becoming more fully rooted in the reality of the risen Jesus. Well, you you can't unless you're spending time with the Spirit of God. God has made a way for us to experience him, to enjoy his presence in this life, and it is with this friend, the Holy Spirit. I ask you again, are you being intentional about this space? Are you listening to the Spirit? Are you waiting on the voice of God? There is no other true pathway to life, to purpose, to your real core identity. Hearing the invisible friend. Listening to the Spirit of God is arguably the key to life. Because the Spirit's first job is to affirm the one who gives life. Are you listening? He isn't heard by everybody. Sometimes people say, is God speaking? That's not the, that's not the issue. God is always speaking. The question is, are we hearing? You know, can we hear? Are we listening? Are we carving out time for him? Are we pushing away the noise and the distractions of life? Are we covering our ears from that so that we can sit and listen to the whispers of God? Are you? We don't typically do that. It's not our first instinct. And Jesus goes on to tell us exactly why that is. When you describe the Holy Spirit this way, it only makes sense that we would spend time. But there's a good reason that we don't. Uh, Maybe that's not the best way to say it. There are reasons that we don't that are hard for us to fend off. Listen to what he says. This is in chapter 16, verse 8. Speaking again of the friend. When he comes... He'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. 
whether we know it or not, we don't move into the space of the Spirit of God. We don't listen to the friend of Jesus. We're afraid to move into that space because we're afraid to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. We're afraid to think about the truth about Jesus because it always means first facing our own ungodliness. See, the Spirit's first job is to affirm who Jesus is. The second job is to expose sin and unrighteousness, to expose our lack of belief, our doubt, our sinfulness. Who wants to go there? To listen to the Spirit of God is to to first know that Jesus is real and secondarily right on the heels of it to know that we're not right. To hear that we are wrong. To, to, to see more clearly our own sin, our need for forgiveness. Not only for the daily stuff that we do wrong, uh, but that for which we think in the attitudes that we have, the deepest stuff within us that we cannot fight off, the things we, we oftentimes can't escape, our, our disbelief, our doubts. And most of all, we really don't want to hear that Jesus needed to die because of me. We don't want to be responsible for anybody's death. Who wants to hear that? But the the Holy Spirit is going to do that. It's like having a very bright light turned on in your life. We don't like that kind of vulnerability. We don't like that kind of exposure. We don't like that level of truth. We tend to look at all the bad stuff in the world and wish God would do something about it. Like when we read, when I read that verse, he comes to expose the error of godless world's views of sin and righteousness and, and the refusal to believe. And who do we think of immediately? Not me, other people, <laughs> right? We look at the world around us and all the bad stuff that's going on and we wonder why God doesn't do something about it. Because we fail to remember that if he wiped out sin in the world, that would include me. If he's going to step in and stop war, he's going to have to step in and stop me. We don't like that truth. It is God's grace and his mercy to you and to me. And maybe even more so for those who haven't found their way back to God, that he hasn't yet purge the world of all of its badness and its sickness. It's really a merciful waiting. Okay, so back to pandemics (laughs) and revivals. A few months ago, I met with 100 pastors and leaders from around Columbus who were gathered and do gather regularly, to ask this basic question. What would it take to make Central Ohio a place where the presence of God was uniquely evident? It might seem a little egocentric, but we thought it was worth asking the question, what would make Central Ohio a place that was more godly than any other place on the planet? 
How might we together as pastors and leaders and Christians in central Ohio come together, pray, and work in such a way that something unexpected might happen in central Ohio? That God would begin something with us that would reshape our city to a level that people would want to know what is going on there in truly practical, meaningful ways, like less suicide and less hostility and less poverty and less isolation and less crime and, and you name it. Something inexplicable going on. What would it take for us to do this? And then one day a pastor addressed the group and asked us to pray for revival. And I thought to myself, I wanted to jump out of my seat and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's think about that. Let's consider what that might mean before we ask it. But I kept my mouth shut. Because the beginnings of revivals always start with the friend of God moving, speaking, and being heard. First, about Jesus, and then closely second, the space of our own sin, our own brokenness, our own blindness, our own wrongfulness. To ask for a revival is to ask for the Spirit of God to be heard in such a way that we see, like we've never seen before, how wrong we are. The greatest church movements in history happen under duress or oppression. To invite a revival personally or widely is to invite trial and trouble and exposure and confession and repentance. You want a revival? You're asking for oppression. Now, would anyone question that not only in Columbus, but all the world is under duress? Is God up to something? Well, always, always. Is the COVID-19 pandemic that the world faces a bad thing? Yes. Absolutely, absolutely, of course it is. It's a terrible thing. People are dying. And we're going to experience that eventually, not just in Columbus. Here, it's likely. We should do everything we can to subdue it, stop it, mitigate it, everything. But is God going to use it? He already is. Things are being taken away from us, some very inconsequential things and some very significant things. Toilet paper, vacation travel, March madness, missions trips, church gathering spaces. And if we're honest, God's using it. If we're honest, we realize how over-attached we are to those things. The Pittsburgh Penguins were supposed to play the Columbus Blue Jackets last night, so I turned on the game and there was no game. I didn't even know what to do with myself. What now? Much of the very stuff that has kept us from God, it's being ripped from our lives. Here we are being given 
if you will, the very thing most of us committed to finding when we started the 40 days. More margin, more time, more space for God. But if you're at all like me, you're recognizing that you're not first compelled to fill that void with God, with a listening to the friend, but we're filling it with alternative things. God can work in any space. How many of you believe that God can speak through his Holy Spirit? That may not be the best question to ask. Because if there is a God, of course he speaks into his own creation. The question is, are we willing to hear? Like I said before, it's like asking if you want a bright light shined into your life, into the corners of your life and of your heart. Who would subject themselves to that? Not many. And I don't advise it apart from Jesus and his friend. If you're going to look honestly at your own life, if you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit, I would do it with Jesus. Let the friend, the Holy Spirit, speak to you, even right now. This week, give him time. Rest. Where God's created a gap, don't fill it except with an opportunity for God to speak. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Let the Spirit of God first remind you of Jesus, to confirm Jesus as the one who saves us, the one who forgives us, the one who died for us, the one who makes it possible that we don't have to run away when we're exposed or vulnerable because he has paid the price. Let the Spirit of God confirm to you that it has been taken care of All that the light shines on has been taken care of. Let the Spirit remind you again, Jesus has done it. And then with that certainty of mercy and grace, let God then show you all that's left to do in your heart, in your life. Because here's the deal, church. The world's waking up right now. The world's coming face to face with life and death. The world is facing its worst and most ignored fears of loss of control and uncertainty about eternity. I want to ask you to commit to several things. Be ready to serve those who are in need. It's a tough balance, right? We're hearing two messages. Distance yourself. Come together and help one another. (laughs) Yeah, figure that out. I saw saw a Facebook uh, post this week of a a, a young mom saying to other moms, hey, if if any of you have a a struggle or trouble or or maybe your child is going to go without a lunch or or, or a meal that would normally be provided because you don't have enough money, let me know and I'd like to do something about it. That's what I'm talking about. Be ready to serve. Look for opportunities to serve. Care for those that are most vulnerable. Pray. Pray for safety and protection over our city and our state and our nation. 
And don't stop making the financial sacrifices of giving generously to your church. We are going to keep going. I, 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 I appeal to you personally. I, I want to keep my whole staff, our whole staff employed. And now not everybody is going to be able to give in the same way that they could, but some of you can give and give generously. And I'm asking you to do it. The church is not going away. Church, this church, Vista, might be uniquely and specifically prepared for this moment because we have really never been about particularly what happens on Sunday morning. We've been missional since the beginning. This could be our shining moment. Let's keep going. The best thing you can do for the people around you is to keep hearing from God yourself. To be at peace with Jesus yourself. To be fully engaged in fighting the pandemic battle, but full of faith rather than fear. Find ways to tell your friends about Jesus, but first make sure he's alive in you. Don't try to tell people he's alive. If he's not alive in you, they will smell that hypocrisy a mile away. Here's what I'm asking you to do, church. Get on your knees, hear from the friend of God, and then get out there and believe in God.